Welcome to the Eternal Connection, a radio broadcast ministry of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Whether it be through prescribed behaviors, rituals, or practices, every religion in the world teaches that if we desire to know God, it is our responsibility to find Him and know Him. Christianity, however, teaches something very different. Christianity teaches that God has come to us and has revealed His love for us by putting on flesh in Jesus Christ and by giving us His Word through which He continues to speak to us today. We're glad you've joined us as Pastor Jay continues leading us through the Bible right here, right now on The Eternal Connection. And once again, you are eternally connected. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. This is Pastor Eric J. from St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska, who sponsors this program where we celebrate the free gift of salvation that has been given to us, uh, the kingdom of God itself that Jesus Christ has brought. That's how he started his ministry, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And we have the joy of repenting, of coming to God and confessing our sins to know that he does forgive us freely because of Christ's resurrection from the dead. Uh, a big focal point in the season that we're in, the season Absolutely. of Lent. Yep. Um, we're not quite halfway through yet, but uh, almost there. Um, it's, it's it's going as quickly as it came, it feels like. <laughs> right. Well, we are in the month of Easter now, so. Yes, it's so early, March 31st. Crazy. Yeah. But Chip, Jason, how are you guys doing? It's March? Because I'm pretty confused on what season it is. It, it, it is March. Yes. Well, the, I, I think I know where he's going. We don't. We try oh. and usually avoid talking about the weather because it's right. just so easy. How can but you how avoid can it? The, 80, the eighty to zero. <laughs> yeah, we can go from eighty to zero in one day. To answer your original question, how am I doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking, and uh, it's always good to be here on a Sunday with you guys. Good. Well, if you're listening and you're in the Omaha, Lincoln, Gretna area-ish, uh, and you uh, hopefully are hearing this on 88.5, if you're listening on Bot Radio, uh, we do have to tell you that last Sunday, the 25th, um, poor Bot had a power outage during uh, our showtime and several other showtimes. Um, and so if you missed last week's episode uh, because of that, um, you can go to our episode archive at eternalconnectionradio.com and check out episode 204, um, which might help uh, even if you listen to, listen to it after today. Um, we get into 19 through 29 in chapter 3, verses 19 to 29, and we're kind of going to be going through the last four or five verses of that again today before getting into chapter 4. So if you missed it last week because of that, uh, or if you missed any other episode, uh, you can always go to our archive at eternalconnectionradio.com and check out all of our past shows. And you can also submit a question, which we had someone do, uh, but we're probably going to need to get to that next week, given how much topics we have today uh, in Scripture. Um, and just reach out to us and let us know that you're listening. Uh, we'd love to hear from our listeners. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to be starting in verse... 23, after a little bit of review, 23 to 29, and then, uh, Lord willing, we'll get into chapter 4 a little bit here today. So, Chip, why don't you pray for us, and we'll dig right in. Okay. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word, word that 
calls life, uh, calls eternal life uh, through what you did for us on the cross, where you took on our sins and gave us what we absolutely didn't deserve, which is your mercy and grace. Lord, be with us this morning as we look into that word that points us to that cross, that points us to your love and grace. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Galatians three twenty three. as a little bit of review before we read, Paul uh, writing to the church in Galatia who is being harassed in many ways, uh, tempted to believe something contrary to the gospel they first heard, a gospel that preaches salvation that comes freely by God's grace through faith in what Christ has done for us um, and not in what we do for God. Um, and he really, he's defending that because there are some who are telling the new Christians in Galatia, the Gentile Christians, that they have to become Jews. Uh, they have to be circumcised and follow the law, um, that believing in Jesus is part of it, but not all of it. And of course, that is not what Jesus said. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5 uh, that we looked at a little bit this past Wednesday in our midweek service in the Beatitudes that uh, he fulfills all the law and the prophets. Um, those laws are there, the Mosaic law, the words of the prophets, but Jesus is the fulfillment of them. He obeyed them perfectly. They are the one to whom the law points, or he's the one to whom the law points um, because he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so there's nothing extra we have to do, even be circumcised, in order to be saved. Uh, in fact, the law, as Paul uh, talked about last week when we were in chapter 3, serves the gospel, that it, it prepares our hearts to receive faith, to receive the good news of Jesus because it convicts us of our sin. It shows us our sin. And that's really the argument that he's going to continue on with here in verse 23 of Galatians 3. So here's what he says. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. A couple of questions. Uh, just a you mentioned one of those words that uh, beatitudes. Mm -hmm. I I quickly looked it up, but I feel like it would be worth recovering what it is for anybody that also might be wondering, like myself. Yeah, the Beatitudes are kind of just a, a, a title from the Latin that we get of the uh, those verses in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, those who, who thirst and hunger for righteousness. He would go on to say, blessed are you when people persecute you because of my sake. So the Beatitudes are simply the blessings, blessed are those that Jesus is describing really the lives of of those who follow him, the lives of those who are of the kingdom of heaven, who have been blessed. They are poor in spirit because they see their sin and their destitute nature, and they know they, they need God. They're humble because of that. They're meek. Um, as Paul would say, in our weakness, we are strong because of what God does for us. We hunger and thirst not just for things um, that we need in this body, but we hunger and thirst for righteousness. So that's, that's what we meant by Beatitudes. And that's really Jesus in that Sermon on the Mount. Um, time and time again, he would say, you've heard it said you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you hate someone in your heart, you're already guilty of murder. 
So Jesus is even there in the Beatitudes showing really what Paul is saying here. Uh, the, the, the law served a purpose bigger than itself. The law did not bring salvation. The law pointed to the salvation that had to come and that was coming. And so Paul's saying in verse 23, the law was really a, a, a guardian, is what he's going to say in verse 24, that we were imprisoned by the law. We can't be saved by obedience to the law because the law itself was meant to keep us captive until the coming faith would be revealed. So Paul's saying, look, the law was there because humanity was out of control. Right? You can just look at the stories of the Bible. Since Cain killed Abel, then Lamech bragged about killing more, so he was going to be greater than Cain. The flood, the Tower of Babel, Israel wandering around in the wilderness, uh, worshiping a golden calf. God gave the law because of sin. And that's what Paul said earlier in chapter 3. The law was given because of sin, because of iniquity, to, to say, this is wrong, this is right, you're living the wrong way, you need to live this way, uh, because God is God. And so Paul says that law kept us captive until faith came, because it would be by faith that we would be set free. Well, and on, based on what you described, you know, there's the world is filled with all sorts of trouble today. It's just different shapes and sizes and topics. Uh, it makes you, you know, a little scared, I guess. What do you mean? Well, all the things you just mentioned, mm-hmm. um, even with faith today in Christ, and, and there's, there's still so much going on, murder, war, Right, which it just accentuate Paul's point, right? If if you're thinking you're going to be saved and we're all going to escape and we're going to be saved and experience salvation because of the law and our obedience to it, you you clearly are living with your eyes closed. <laughs> right? We're we're not obeying it. We don't obey it. Paul would say I'm the chief of sinners. The law's there to remind us of that and push us towards Christ and to believe he did it. He did it for me that coming faith. And I think it's significant in verse 23, the way Paul puts that faith was coming. Now it doesn't mean the people in the old Testament didn't have faith, right? Right. He's talking about the object of faith. They looked forward to the coming of this Messiah that God promised. We look back upon him because he has come and he has saved us. And his name is Jesus. And so then Paul says in verse 24, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And again, remember, Paul's making this argument because people are saying that simply just believing in God's grace given to you in Christ isn't enough. You still have to do stuff. And Paul's saying, no, you misunderstand the law. The law was there to keep us in bounds enough so that we didn't go off and condemn ourselves until that justification came when the Messiah would come to suffer and die, just like Isaiah 53 and so many other passages talked about, to pay for our sins. Now, the the same faith that we're justified by 
is the faith that justified Abraham. And that's the argument that he was making at the end of chapter two, going into chapter three. It doesn't mean that people in the Old Testament didn't have salvation, didn't have the gospel, didn't have faith. They just didn't know who that was going to be. They did not see the fulfillment of what the law pushed them towards. They did not see the fulfillment of the promised Messiah that would free them from under the law. But he says now in verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. But modern day, like the word guardian seems like safe and you might view God as a guardian. Yeah. Think about it. Uh, the, the, the language that Paul is actually using is, is very um, uh, steeped in culture and context of the time. So in, in Roman life, Greek and Roman life, you would literally have a, a guardian, a schoolmaster, a slave of the household who would watch over the children in the house, even walk them to school and back to make sure that they didn't get in trouble or do anything uh, that they weren't supposed to do. They were there to protect the children as they grew up until they reached full maturity. So Paul's saying, look, in, in the same way, it, in, until God's promise reached its fruition in Jesus that he said was coming, the law was given to guard us to keep us focused on what God was going to do for us because the law reveals what we can't do for ourselves. But now that faith has come, now that the object of our faith has, has appeared, now that Christ has died and risen from the dead, we're no longer obligated to exist under that guardian because that's the argument his enemies are making in Galatia, that you, you now have to follow this, these certain rules, and if you don't, you can't be saved by Jesus alone. He's saying, no, the whole point to the law was to point us to Jesus, and he's come. So, yes, you should still follow the laws of God. <laughs> no, Paul's not arguing that we shouldn't obey God's word. He's saying that's not what, what did God save us from if not from the law, if not from our inability to be good enough for God. That's exactly what he saved us from, from our sin that the law shows to us. And the way that he has saved us, by the way, the way that we have all been made sons of God and daughters is included in that. He's just, just a cultural way of saying children is how in verse 27. Baptism. Baptism. Mm -hmm. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, which is a really powerful way of painting this picture that he's been arguing. Look, you're a mess. You're sinful. You you need covering. You have to put on someone else. That's what the law has shown you. You aren't good enough. You cannot please God enough by yourself. Someone else has to do it for you. And Christ has done it. And you are given his righteousness. You are clothed with Christ's worthiness in baptism. It's, it's very reminiscent, um, unfortunately, 
our stream didn't work this past Wednesday. There was no sound, but uh, I'm teaching through a series on the penitential Psalms. And we looked at Psalm 22, where David says, blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Meaning, first of all, I admit it's sin. I admit it's transgression. And I admit that I can't do anything with it. it it's a passive covering, right? It has to be put over me. That's exactly, and by the way, that is the law, Psalms. <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> sin is put over you? No, something has to be put over my sin. Because if God looks at my sin, I deserve death. Oh, yeah. And I can't fix myself. So I have to be remade. I have to be covered in someone else's credit, covered in someone else's righteousness. And that's what Paul's saying is happening in baptism. It's, baptism isn't just a spiritual thing you do. Baptism isn't about you proclaiming your faith. No, because your faith is broken. Baptism isn't saying, look, I understand enough about God or I, I'm, I'm declaring my faith today. Well, I hope you're not because all of our faith is broken. No, what's actually happening in baptism is God's work. He is putting Christ on us. That's exactly what Paul is saying in verse 27. I had a, uh, an associate who was baptized last week. You know, he was baptized in a tradition where it is declaring myself, you know, I chose and, and whatnot. And it bothered me because every, every sentence that was proclaimed in his description of what happened started with I, mm-hmm. me. And while he was being baptized? No, well, yeah, I guess you could say that too, because he talked about how this, you know, I, I stood up and before my friends and family and declared that Jesus was my Lord and, you know, this and that. And my first instinct, uh, which is not usually my best one, so I, I held off, uh, and I think it's a great topic to discuss here, is, you know, when we have brothers and sisters who were baptized, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is that is a legitimate baptism because it's God's work, not ours, even if we have an erroneous understanding of it. Mm-hmm. But how would we, with in love and compassion, help a brother or sister who had been baptized in that tradition understand the difference? Yeah, that's a good question. The, the, the approach I usually take is, is um, trying to point out to them that, as you noted, your understanding and therefore your hope of salvation is centered on you. When, when you say, I know I'm saved because I confess Jesus is my Lord and I got baptized and I stood up and proclaimed my faith in front of my family. Whoa, there are, there are a lot of eyes and my's in there. And, and, and I try and do it from a loving perspective to say, if, if Peter was here today, the same Peter who told the Lord, I will never forsake you. Even if everybody else runs away, I will never run away. The same Peter who, who thought he was being so bold to, to hack off the ear of the soldier that came to arrest Christ, he denied Jesus three times. Peter, Peter put his faith in himself. And it wasn't until after Jesus died and rose again and Peter realized this was never about me. It was always about him. Did, did Peter then be able to become the rock that Christ declared him to be? Um, uh, so 
the way to show that is if if salvation is dependent upon your faith and your proclamation of it, are you prepared to say your faith is perfect and your proclamation of your faith is perfect? Because those are God's expectations. Right. How could you even determine what perfect faith is? That's why it's such a fool's errand to think that I'm saved because of my faith. No, I'm saved because of my faith in Jesus. Right. And that's that's a that's a distinction that just has to be hammered all the time. The the default way of thinking about being saved by faith is I'm saved by my faith. I believe enough. I really truly believe. And and I'm going to tell you this as a pastor now for going on 15 years, I believe uh, but I don't believe like I want to. I don't believe like I know I should. I, I'm not faithful like I want to be. Paul himself says that in Romans 7. The Apostle Paul says, all the bad stuff I know I shouldn't do, that's I, what I do. Yep, yep. And and all the uh, good stuff I, I know I should do, I don't do that. That's the Apostle Paul talking. Paul would never say, I know I'm saved because of my faith. No, Paul would say and is saying, I know I'm saved because of my faith in Jesus and what he has done for me, beginning in my baptism. When Paul was baptized, yes, as an adult, but after he was living according to his faith, which was to go kill Christians. Right. Well, and I, I think another way that that kind of comes out in modern society is you talk to a lot of people who use this phrase, well, you know, I, I think I'm, I've been pretty good. You know, I haven't yeah. killed anybody and, and that kind of thing, and I, I, I believe that people are generally good. Well, and Paul kind of undoes that in verse 28, right? He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male. There is no female. No, you're all one in Christ Jesus. And remember, this is the murderer, Saul, now talking as Paul saying, look, these distinctions we make are gone, folks. When you are, when you understand who's first, which is God Almighty and his son Jesus who has done it all for you. These going tit for tat and trying to measure your sinfulness versus this other one, uh, that's a fool's errand because God expects perfection, period. So if you're going to try and and achieve salvation through what you do or don't do, or at least being better than the guy next to you, it's a lost cause because the expectation is perfect. And so Paul's saying Christ has come, and the good news is we can stop that comparison game. There are no distinctions anymore. It's not the Jewish law. It's not the Gentile this. It's not the male-female. No, it's God, period, end of story. His rule, his authority, his grace, his son, Jesus. And that's why he says in verse 29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. And again, you have to remember, he is arguing against the Jews who are saying, no, we're sons of Abraham. We follow these laws. And Paul's saying, no, there's no Jew. There's no Greek. There's no male. There's no female. Abraham was justified by faith. And so are we, period. And it's not faith in us. It's faith in Jesus. You know, you mentioned the comparison game. I think as Christians, we... Some of us can have a bad habit of that whole comparison game thing. And uh, something that's uh, I've been dwelling on over the last week, and, and I think this is, um, you know, as reading Scripture and, and I've been reading through Romans, and 
the idea that I have been guilty of looking at certain segments of society and kind of thumbing my nose a little bit at them when who am I, number one, and they need to hear about Jesus just like I did. Mm-hmm. Um, that really cuts. Yeah. And it's something that, uh, you know, I can look back at, well, Pastor, you've known him for years, and I, I'm sure you, I'm sure I've let some of that come out uh, in front of you in terms of, you know, talking about certain, you know, certain levels of sin and, and those kinds of things. And, and uh, I've just lately realized that, you know, A, Chip, shut up and, <laughs> and, you know, understand that our job is not to condemn those who are in the grip of sin. Our job is to uh, come to them with the balm that is, is the message, the good news, and let it have its way with those people. And it, that's just, I don't know, just something on my heart in the last couple of weeks. And uh, I, I, I hope that that's a sign that maybe God's getting through to me a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah. Chip, get off your high horse because well, you, why... you don't have a high horse to sit on. Uh, amen. I mean, and, and thank you for your candor. I mean, that's that's something we all need to hear, and we're all struggling with. And and I think it's a sign of spiritual maturity to to acknowledge that and recognize that. I think that's also why Jesus went um, and and ate with prostitutes and ate right. and ate with tax collectors. Uh, that doesn't mean, uh, and this is where the Pharisees got confused. They thought that that meant he was endorsing their behavior. Right. No. Read read the Bible. Listen to what Jesus said. Yes, he, he loved them, and he loved them enough to tell them the truth, which was, stop sinning. Mm-hmm. You, you, you think that this is the, the fulfillment of life? You think that because prostitution feels good or stealing from people feel, feels good or doing what you want feels good, that's not all of life. There's so much more life, but you have to stop this. Repent and receive God's grace and forgiveness that has come to you. That's what I've come to bring you, and then, then you'll really truly live. Yeah, it's our job not to condemn. And, right. and that is never our job. And certainly that's Paul's point here in Galatians uh, that he's criticizing his enemies for. They're coming to the Galatians trying to guilt them into this. No, that's not the point. I Paul's saying there is a law. There is God's law. And if you preach God's truth faithfully, it's going to reveal sin. But the law serves the gospel. And so, yeah, our job is not to condemn. Our job is to speak God's truth let it be God's truth and, and plead with people and pray with people and pray for people that they would come to see uh, that their hope is not in themselves or in what they want or in what they believe or in, in what they feel. It's in Christ and what he has done for us. Um, and, and that is the privilege that, that we have. And I think the, the more, the closer we get to God in our own walk, we see that magnified in our own life. The closer I get to God, the more magnified my sin becomes, the more magnified his grace becomes. And and then I start to see other people through that lens because I'm seeing more of myself that way. We're not broken uh, because of what we do. We do what we do because we're broken. And, and yeah, you get better at some things, um, but it, it's, it's still all grace. And it's grace for me and it's grace for you and it's grace for everyone. 
We pray our time together in God's Word has been a blessing to you and to your faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior of the world. If you enjoy listening to our program, we would love to hear from you. Go to eternalconnectionradio.com to find our full episode archive, contact us, let us know you enjoy the show, or ask a question that Pastor Jay will answer on the air. God bless all of you. We look forward to connecting with you again next Sunday on The Eternal Connection.